This is a phenomenal mom here. And I suspect that Lemuel is so impacted by a godly woman like this that he may say, she not only helped me, she not only gave me counsel, she not only was the instrument of the Lord to put me on the straight and narrow, but here's what I want to do in verses 10 to 31. I want to tell you exactly what I saw in her as the wife to my father. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to the final segment of Pastor Lance Quinn's Wine, Women, and the Song of Justice. Pastor's text for this series, Proverbs chapter 31, verses 1 through 9, is a warning from the Queen Mother to her ruling son about self-indulgence. This mother could very well have been the, quote, woman who fears the Lord that's described by King Lemuel in the same chapter, verses 10 through 31. And this stanza stands out. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Any woman who fears the Lord, the one true God, has the ability to speak truth, if not with kings, with her children and peers about the pathway to life eternal. Here's part three of Wine, Women, and the Song of Justice. No king in power, no ruler needs to be in a position of that kind of sovereign rule and powerful judgment and so drinks himself into a mess that he doesn't know the right from the wrong. He forgets what is decreed. The up is down, the down is up. He's not ruling righteously. And because he's not ruling righteously, he's a person who's perverting justice. And he's taking those who are afflicted who need us, the hurting, the discouraged, the ones without attorney, advocate, the ones who need a judge who's not on the take, and he's perverting their rights. He's turning the kingdom upside down. Why? How? What, O oh my son? What, O oh son of my womb? What, O oh son of my vows? You, the king, oh, as the queen mother, I have my duty to warn you that if you drink yourself drunk, I don't think it's necessarily saying, because that would have been totally foreign in the courts of the Middle East to not to have any drink at all, because frankly, most of that which they drank was this kind of drink, wine. What he's saying is, if you drink to excess... If you're inebriated, you, you'll forget what is decreed and you'll pervert all of the rights of the afflicted. What, what are you doing? How are you leading? Your kingly rule is in trouble. Why? How? Because you've been cavorting with women who are not your wife and they've skewed your judgment and you can't, won't know how to act appropriately when you're in office and what's worse you're taking your immorality and you're also bringing into it the wine of celebration and you're so drunk you don't even know how to rule properly. These are some somber, sober, but poignant and necessary warnings from a mom who loves her son and who is asking him to rule righteously because a vow made to God is a vow that should be kept. Proverbs 20, verse 1. The Old Testament is filled with these kinds of warnings. Chapter 20, 
Verse 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is what? Not wise. Not wise. How important would it be for a king to be wise? Look at chapter 23. Uh, you probably remember it well. Verse 29, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who, who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long over wine, those who go to taste mixed wine, do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup. In other words, it's tempting to you when it goes down smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your mind will utter perverse things. And you will be like the one who lies down in the middle of the sea or like one who lies down on the top of a mast. They struck me, but I did not become ill. They beat me, but I did not know it. When shall I awake? I will see another drink. Can you imagine a king like that? Perverting justice. He's even forgotten the law. What's decreed? That's why in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, we have this warning from the preacher. Woe to you, verse 16, Ecclesiastes 10. Woe to you, O land, whose king is a lad and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, whose king is of nobility and whose princes eat at the appropriate time for strength and not for drunkenness. In other words, you got these lads who are in the place of nobility and they think they're ready, but they're not ready. And what they do is they feast in the morning. They have a party. It's a drunken party. Happy is the land who doesn't have a king like that. And you know, that was exactly the indictment of God on Israel. Look at chapter 5 of Isaiah. This was exactly the indictment of Yahweh on the leaders of Israel. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 22. Woe to those who are heroes in drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink. Notice this. Who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the rights of the one who are in the right. Very serious warnings to those in authority. Chapter 28, verse 5. In that day, the Lord of hosts will become a beautiful crown and a glorious diadem to the remnant of His people, a spirit of justice for Him who sits in judgment, a strength to those who repel the onslaught at the gate, and these also reel with wine and stagger from strong drink. The priest and the prophet reel with strong drink. They are confused by wine. They stagger from strong drink. They reel without having visions. They totter when rendering judgment. They're out of control. They don't know how to judge rightly. Chapter 56, verse 10. His watchmen are blind. All of them know nothing. All of them are mute dogs, unable to bark. Dreamers lying down who love to slumber. And the dogs are greedy. They're not satisfied. They are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned their own way, each one to his unjust gain, to the last one. Come, they say, let us get wine and let us drink heavily of strong drink. And tomorrow will be like today, only more so. Hey, the life of the party. These are leaders. These are shepherds. You're not supposed to be responding in that way. You don't have to turn there, but 
Hosea 4.11 says this, harlotry, sexual immorality, harlotry, wine, and new wine take away the understanding. See in one verse, Hosea 4.11, harlotry, wine, new wine, take away the understanding. That's why, beloved, I don't drink alcohol. It's not because I think I'm more righteous than somebody else, but my mind has to be crisp and clear and clean when I think and when I preach and when I give you counsel. I can't afford to do that. If I do that, my mind is cloudy. My judgment is dimmed. My critiques and my counsel are warped so that I don't know the right thing. What if I forget the decrees of the Lord? doesn't mean you have to. But all of us are warned, like Ephesians 5, like I read today, do not be drunk with wine, for that is excess, but be controlled, be filled, be monitored by the Holy Spirit. I'm not telling you you can't, I'm telling you I can't. Because my mind will not succumb to the kind of drinking that allows itself to cloud my judgment so that you have a pastor who is not adjudicating the Word of God rightly, interpreting the Word for you as you must have it. That's a standard. That's a plumb line for those whose vision is cloudy, their judgment is dim, because through sexual immorality or sinful drunkenness, they're not leading the people correctly. Even in Hosea chapter 7, Verse 3, with their wickedness they make the king glad, and the princes with their lies, they are all adulterers like an oven heated by the baker. This is Ephraim who ceases to stir up the fire from the kneading of the dough until it is leavened. Listen to this, on the day of our king, the princes became sick with the heat of wine. They got so drunk they got sick. This is what will cloud the judgment. You remember Herod in Mark 6? He threw a party. And in the party, he was going to show his guests what a great time they were going to have. And he wanted to seem like the big boy, uh, the, the proud king. And his wife conspired with the daughter who went in and danced before the king. And he said, I'll give you anything you want. And she threw him for a loop when she said through her mother, I want the head of John the Baptist. And through the party guests that he didn't want to compromise with, and he wanted to seem like the big stud at the party, he was forced to do it. Came out of a party. That's why First Peter 4, verse 3, talks about staying away from drinking parties. You say, well, I don't drink. Do you go to drinking parties? Who is the fool who acts as the designated driver? You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to go on. You have no idea. Very serious thing. Just as becoming mixed up with sexual immorality and the perversion of justice... Dulling your mind with partying and drinking will cause you to forget what is decreed and to pervert the rights of the afflicted. Now somebody's going to say, yeah, but what about verses 6 and 7 of Proverbs 31? This is what it says. Give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to him whose life is bitter. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his trouble no more. Sounds like it's talking about giving someone a drink there. Maybe it's talking about you don't drink, king. But give drinks to others, those who are, those who are perishing, maybe as a palliative, or, or, or maybe those who are living a bitter life and you're providing intoxicants for them so they can sort of drown their sorrows. Is that what verses six and seven are saying? No. No. 
I don't think that's what it's saying at all. I think that would do an injustice to the two previous verses. What's he saying? What's Lemuel quoting his mother as saying? I think he's simply saying this. It's a backhanded way to say, look, this is what happens in the world. People who are perishing like to have the alcohol, but it deadens because it deadens the pain. And there are people in this world who are bitter and sorrowful. They're in poverty. They're in abject humiliation. And they sometimes turn to a drink, a strong drink, to allow them to alleviate the sorrows of this life. And it's just his mother's way of saying, that's a fact. That is true. But it's a backhanded way of saying, don't you be involved in such a thing You need to be of such a standard that you don't even drink to excess so that you're not a part of that which are the facts of life and what other people do. John Kitchen writes it this way. Those in positions of leadership do not have the liberties of those with lesser responsibilities. They may end up drinking themselves silly, but he cannot. These two verses should not be read as authorization for drunkenness to avoid responsibilities and problems, but as a backhanded way of underscoring the responsibility of one placed in a position of leadership and authority. That's right. The facts of life are people use intoxicants, people use alcohol to deaden the pain of life. How much more should a king not do such a thing so that his wits are about him? He is judging justly. He's got a keen eye. He looks at his people and he judges them in a way that is right and true. And he's not deadening his pain at all. The pain of leadership, the pressure of it all. And how many of those kings and rulers who are in authority, in fact, do turn to the bottle because the pressure is so great? Not so, says a good and righteous mom. Don't do it. Don't turn to the bottle. You're going to pervert all the ways of justice. And, thirdly and last, verses 8 and 9. Here's what you ought to be doing. Clear eye. Clean mind. Judicious behavior, model an example, verses 8 and 9, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all the unfortunate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the afflicted and needy. Oh, oh, son, son of my womb, son of my vows. I prayed to the Lord, and I asked the Lord for a son who was an honor to his mother. And I don't want to see you fall just like all of these other kings that we've seen come and go and they fall into immorality and their hearts have turned away from Yahweh and I've seen men who have ascended to the throne, maybe even relatives of ours who have themselves been caught with the perversion of justice where right is wrong and wrong is right because they drank themselves into a condition where they couldn't see clearly They couldn't judge righteously. And I'm telling you, if you've got a clean mind and if you've got a pure heart, when you judge, you're going to judge in such a way that you will be the mouth for the voices of those who can't speak for themselves. That's what you'll be. You'll you'll be the rights for the rights of the unfortunate. You'll be the mouth judging righteously and you'll defend the rights of the afflicted and the needy. 
Your mind is clear. Your heart is pure toward your people. And you will respond in such a way that the Lord will honor your efforts and you will be a blessing to your mom. Now you would want to listen to your mother, wouldn't you? Proverbs 16.10. Proverbs 16.10. This is, this is the Word of God. Proverbs 16.10. A divine decision is in the lips of the king. His mouth should not err in judgment. Boy, what a standard. Do you know that if you're serving in a capacity like that, and you say, well, I'm not a king. I'm not an elected official. You're a dad. You're a husband. You're a father. You're a mom to your children. The Lord controls all of the decisions which are on the lips of the person who's in authority, and your mouth should not err in judgment. You say, that's a high standard. Yes, it is. And you shouldn't cloud your judgment with immorality and drunkenness. That's the whole point. Look at chapter 17, verse 15. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. Yeah, well, that's going to happen with somebody whose judgment is cloudy through immorality and intoxicants. Chapter 20, verse 8. A king who sits on the throne of justice disperses all evil with his eyes. Verse 28. Loyalty and truth preserve the king. And he upholds his throne by righteousness. That's what Lemuel's mother's praying for. That's what she vowed to the Lord to give her. Chapter 24, verse 23, over and over and over again in our Bibles. These also are the sayings of the wise. To show partiality and judgment is not good. He who says to the wicked, you are righteous. Peoples will curse him. Nations will abhor him. But to those who rebuke the wicked will be delight and a good blessing will come upon them. Yes, and a thousand times yes. No wonder our country's in the mess it's in. How many of its leaders across this land are on the take, not judging righteously, and that because... Their personal lives are a moral mess. We hear about it every day. We hear about congressmen who have to resign. We hear about sexual sin in the Oval Office. And we hear about people whose judgments are so foreign to the Bible. Is there any wonder where it's coming from? Immorality, drunkenness, greed. Look at chapter 29 as we close. This chapter is full of warnings. Chapter 29, verse 2. When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, people what? Groan. Oh. Verse 4. The king gives stability to the land by justice. But a man who takes bribes overthrows it. Verse 7, the righteous is concerned for the rights of the poor. The wicked does not understand such concern. Verse 12, if a ruler pays attention to falsehood, all his ministers become wicked. Verse 14, if a king judges the poor with truth, his throne will be established forever. You say, how does this apply to me? I'm no king. I'm not a ruler. How about this? Are you staying away from sexual immorality? Are you saying no to sinful drunkenness? And thirdly, are you in ethical dealings with those around you? Because we're really talking about ethics here. You may not be a king pronouncing judgment down upon a subject, but you're a person and you may have horizontal relationships with others for which you may be involved in business or just 
reaching out to the hand of the needy and the afflicted. Are you ethically, with a clear mind and a, and a good head, meeting out the rights of the afflicted and the needy? How are we doing in the very ethics of our public life based upon that which is true in our private life? Boy, I tell you, I want a mom like this. I want somebody who I know birthed me to sit down with me and say, I warn you, this is the way to rule and this is the way not to rule. This is a phenomenal mom here. And I suspect that Lemuel is so impacted by a godly woman like this that he may say, she not only helped me, she not only gave me counsel, she not only was the instrument of the Lord to put me on the straight and narrow, but here's what I want to do in verses 10 to 31. I want to tell you exactly what I saw in her as the wife to my father. This is going to be fun. Keep Lemuel's mother in mind. Keep all godly women in mind as we go through verses 10 to 31. This is the virtuous woman with the backdrop of Lemuel's mom as the apex in his thinking of all of the things that she kept him from doing. What a priceless woman this is. Let's bow together in prayer. For those of you who have ears to hear, wine, women, and the song of justice ring out loudly to us of our need for righteousness and holiness. Oh, it may be true that we're not kings or rulers of the land. But all of us have ourselves responsibilities to stay away from sexual immorality, sinful abuses of alcohol, and any unjust dealings with others. I ask you this morning as we close, to what may the Lord be convicting you now as you hear this message? To what is the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Master convicting you of in any of these three areas? Your sexual life, your physical life, your ethical life. Oh Lord, thank you for those godly moms who speak in such ways, vowing to the Lord that we, like Lemuel, whose name itself means dedicated to God, belonging to God, whose mother dedicated him to you, believing in her heart, that Lemuel belonged to You. O oh Lord, keep us from immorality, from drunkenness, from ethical misdealings, from our leadership, from our nation, from ourselves, and from this, our church. Lord Jesus Christ, be our Lord. Be Lord over these things. And cause us to say no to them, to run from them, so that our judgment is not cloudy, our wits are not dimmed, and we are able to deal with people as we ought. May it be so, Heavenly Father, for the glory of the Lordship of Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. Do you wonder why presidents and kings, national rulers and leaders make seemingly bad decisions? 
In his last sermon on Wine, Women, and the Song of Justice, Pastor Lance Quinn shows how a self-indulgent life skews the decision-making process of leaders. If you ever wonder why you make wrong choices, well, you're not alone. Witness the terrible decisions leaders have made and still make. And we're all capable of making decisions that don't make sense. But I think we all need to know that such decisions come from working on our own wisdom and not God's timeless truths. If you're interested on finding out how God can still instill wisdom into choices that affect you both now and forever, come to our website, timelesstruthtoday.org, timelesstruthtoday.org. Select Broadcasts, and there you'll find a complete archive of Pastor Lance's teachings. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Lance Quinn, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. Listen tomorrow for our new two-part series titled Battles with Temptation. I'm Matt Williams for Timeless Truth Today. Thank you for listening.